0: The town of Greenwich was shocked today as police arrived to investigate two grisly violence as they say the women's feet were sewn together at the bottom of the, the room. mere images of each other. the shark.
1: REVERENCE is an interesting word, often applied more discriminately than others of its caliber. So, when the young man I had come to see used it to describe his feelings towards his dreams, I felt inclined to listen to him a bit more carefully. He said,
0: There is a wisdom within my dreams, beyond the pull of standard reason and logic. It is crafted from experiences that have not been filtered through the waking senses and so persists as a knowing without conventional form or substance.
1: The man barely moved, lying on his bed looking at moths orbiting a naked glowing light bulb. Where the power came from to produce the illumination, I have no idea. The city may be in ruins, but I'm sure it wasn't suffering from a paucity of energy sources, no matter how gruesome or unearthly.
0: Moths are so much different than butterflies. They remind me of the difference between waking and dreaming. The butterfly is a beautiful creature, but only and ultimately explicit, wearing its colors upon the dust of its wings. Such a creature can only decorate the world like a living bow tied whimsically around a gust of wind, fluttering beautifully, pointlessly. Like most things, the butterfly is really just a dried-up dream that has lost its connection to the other side, and so has become an exhibition without substance or source. The moth, however, is a great adventurer, a night thing. It is the custodian of uncommon desires that presumably outstrip the need for aesthetics and spectacle. It is not content with only its wings in the open air, but requires more, and so drowns itself for the night, every night, looking for something. What it seeks no one knows, not even the moth. It simply knows that what is, is all wrong, and there must be something greater hiding behind the night's darkness something more wonderful than even tireless wings and an infinity of night could ever provide. It is as if the moth's entire life were designed for a singular purpose, escape. Or perhaps it was merely designed to believe that it exists in a place that needs escaping from, and that its nightly passions are somehow sufficient to locate a way out. A dream is so much like that, you see. It takes wing into the unknown, traveling and never arriving, always searching for an exit, and rarely finding one.
1: Obviously, I disagreed with his characterization of the dead world, as it could never be decorated, it could only ingest beauty, leaving behind the dry bones of devoured dreams. Yet the man's expertise lay in dreams and not the waking world, so I forgave the mistake, although his characterization of the butterfly was correct. He looked away from the whirling moths and stared straight at me smiling slightly.
0: But you did not come here to talk about butterflies, did you? No. You want to know about the moths, about those strange
1: dreams you are having. I nodded, and his eyes took on a strange energy, as if they were a glow in some other spectrum of light or darkness. He directed his invisibly radiant gaze beyond the gaping hole in his roof, freeing his vision into the wet black sky. Rain was falling only lightly, its soft patter blending easily with the gentle breeze. The man continued
0: This place, the entire city, has rested upon the precipice of some dim and forgotten dream world ever since the demon sleep arrived from beyond our furthest nightmares. I have been dreaming myself closer and closer to that world every day and night, stealing into its pallid and high-walled lanes eating of its food, spending my living years on dream after dream of a world that is precisely not this one. Do you think I leave this bed to eat? Of course not. I sustain myself there, within the gray drifting fields broken only by spindly trees and the ruins of visions long since past. I partake of the whispering fruit and drink the weird smoldering waters that tumble across the endless sky like herds of rushing ghosts. And what about this body of mine, this youthful weight that lies before you? It is only a point of reference. My mind has spent so little time here that my body has barely aged. But I am far from young, farther still from truly old. I say all of this only to inform you of the paths that I have walked to know what I know. And I know what I know quite well.
1: I said nothing, only waited for him to continue. His gaze returned to the room and back to the wheeling moths. With no small amount of concentration, he began a new tale. Quite a few dreams ago, I was wandering
0: a damp passageway constructed from interlocking basements, each one opening into the next by way of a different type of subterranean entrance. I encountered an entity who referred to himself as the King of Cellars. He was an effable old fellow, so I visited with him beneath the weak illumination of old and crusty light bulbs. We were having quite a pleasant time. Talking and philosophizing as we drank from our chip cups of softly sweetened tea, when from below we heard the savage bluster of numerous and doubtless enormous wolves. The lord of basements remarked on the sound only when he saw the frightened look upon my face, saying, "'Mine is not the deepest kingdom, for far below us there is a pit deeper than any space could ever hope to admit, and those that inhabit the Great Depression are nearly as old as the machines that gave emptiness its color and numbered the dust.' The great company of the pit are generally a quiet lot, but recently one of them in particular has been quite busy. I can hear the strange sounds of its dark enterprise, occasionally. When I asked about the sound of demonic wolves, he said only, The industrious one that I mentioned is lean and voracious, and the wolves are its voice. It speaks stolen breaths into hungry sentences made from packs of frothing wolves, wherein each ravening word can hunt and kill. It is speaking now, but to whom I cannot say. My host would say no more, and I was relieved to move past the topic at the time, as the deep sounds nearly startled me awake. However, after I departed the Kingdom of cellars and its charming ruler, I resolved to learn more about this creature that possessed a voice of wolves. Eventually this entity became a point of some fascination for me, and so I dreamed as deeply as I was able, trying to find some trace of this pit of which the Cellar King made mention. After many dreams of unsuccessful questing, I finally found an old nightmare, drifting alone in a sea of pitch silence, replaying its bloody misfortune over and over again. The dreamers of this nightmare had been many and monstrous, but apparently long dead. Strangely, as I explored the contents of the dream, it appeared that the dreamers had not only shared the same dream, but had actually killed one another in some strange contest, orphaning the nightmare that still held an echo of baying wolves. I returned to the dead dream many times always departing with some new insight. However, on the last occasion I visited the dream, all was not dead. The nightmare was filling up with the shadows of fresh wolves, and the dream became hot with hunger and blood. These new wolves began falling upon one another, rending flesh from bone, and the dream had been removed from the depths of forgotten silence and lifted into red pools of human sleep. As I departed, something watched me go. Something whose age was nearly as deep as the pit itself. When its sight had fallen entirely upon me, I felt my dream self nearly explode from the heat. I awoke that night to blankets of fire.
1: The man threw his gaze at a hump of burned sheets piled crudely in one of the corners of the shabby room.
0: But before I awoke, I caught a passing look at the thing that could cast fire from slumber. It wore the likeness of a darkened shepherd and bore in its hand a bleeding crimson crook.
1: I still remember the picture the Crucifier had drawn within his yellowed journal. You speak of the Shepherd of Wolves, do you not? The man looked a bit irritated, as if I'd disrupted the rhythm of his carefully planned sermon. Of course. He is the
0: thing that calls out to you, and all the rest of your kind.
1: He waited smugly for the words he knew I would speak. I have no kind, dreamer. I am no wolf. I am a repairer of dreams an artist. Everything else is merely parenthetical, provisional. Nothing more, and nothing less.
0: Are you an artist indeed? I will say this for you. You are different. But you have no idea of precisely what you are, you poor beast.
1: Some of his words were like the distant notes of a weekly remembered song. His remaining words were offensive. Yet again, his was the knowledge of things that walked the distant shores of dream, not of matters concerning the business of firmer worlds. He was again forgiven, or at least ignored. His smile returned to light up invisible worlds. He was quite pleased with himself for his performance and in his role of sage.
0: You have no choice but to play the shepherd's game, and you have every reason to play it well, my giant friend. You see, the shepherd is one of the unbegotten. His will, even from down within so deep a hole, is as inevitable as silence. He cannot be denied his sport. He wrote you an invitation in blood and twilight, and he means for you to join him and all the others he has invited into a game that can displace stars and conjure worlds from whispers. And should I
1: win, I asked, genuinely curious.
0: Who is to say... The shepherd is as mysterious as the nightmare that dismembered Boston and raised New Victoria from its riven corpse. The wills and ways of such things are not for us to know. We simply symbolize their powers in the same way ink symbolizes our thoughts on paper. Although, we are not the ones holding the pen.
1: Then I have one more question for you, Dreamer. What do you know of the dreams of Sarah Kane? The man's grin nearly exceeded the boundaries of his face. You mean, of course, Black Molly Patience. Another name on my murder list transformed into a wickedly beautiful thing. She was a poisonous one, a cannibal who walked under the world, serving her darkest appetites. Her underground tunnels, sweet venoms, and secret trap doors were the very stuff of children's nightmares. I was certain the man's secret vision could see the soul of my own smile testing the limits of his neglected room. Black Molly Patience had walked the nightmares of humanity since the close of the Great Darkness, chewing the courage of an entire generation down to its rubbery gristle. The thought of finding her darkness and making it my own was exhilarating, though I couldn't help but imagine the toll such an act would exercise upon my conscience. How could I forgive myself for such a thing? And why would this shepherd want me to strip the mother of the dead world of one of her greatest enemies? A soft voice brought the broken, storm-drenched room that contained me back into focus.
0: You are like a feral angel hunting the limits of a savage heaven. I envy you. I must sleep to find my dreams, and here you are in the middle of the solid world, hunting and being hunted by the reddest dream imaginable. But my envy goes only so far before it is replaced by pity. While you have the good fortune of being wrapped in a wild dream day and night, I have walked between the headstones of that particular dream, and I know it will not end well for you.
1: Graveyards can be gardens, Dreamer, as death can be as fertile as the blackest soil. Perhaps you wandered a garden that had been poorly seeded, and was only waiting to be cultivated with better. My insight indulged my best hopes. I knew that dreams were tricky beasts, and even the most seasoned dreamer is likely to misinterpret them. As any good dreamer knows, dreams make promises carved in smoke, and speak in the hissing sibilance of snakes. While we're lingering upon this issue of grim inevitability, I said, I would very much like to know how you've come to be ignored by the things that inhabit the city.
0: That is a particularly interesting topic, given your previous mention of gardens.
1: The dreamer said.
0: You see, I too am being cultivated. This very bed I sleep upon is invaluable to the creatures that dwell here. Every time I return from dream, a little bit of my journey is left behind within its sheets, its rusted frame and creaking headboard. These creatures possess a kind of technology that can harvest it for their own strange purposes. I learned all of this upon the close of the first day I entered New Victoria, just weeks after the plague had begun. I had made my way through the silent crowds of shambling sleepwalkers, past the screeching birth knells of infant nightmares, and finally came to rest in the spacious rooms of a derelict house that squatted beneath a dense enclosure of trees. At that point, I had become far too familiar with the unearthly sounds of nightmares risen from sleep and so failed to immediately investigate the metallic droning that vibrated the ceiling above me. Eventually, the sounds of something creeping toward my bed renewed my exhausted curiosity. When I gazed into a small patch of moonlight that fell from the bed to the floor, I could see the creeping machinations of a curious industry. Throbbing semi-organic tubers were slithering across the floor and crawling up between the box spring and mattress of my bed. Of course, I was quick to leap from beneath my sheets and onto the floor. just in time. A ganglionic tangle of smaller tubers descended from the unseen corners of the dark room and seized my pillow within a death grip of extruded hooks and needles. Shortly after the creeping lengths of flesh and steel had all but cocooned my previous sleeping arrangements, the collective apparatus of organics began to pulsate with a kind of sickening rhythm, composed of an orderly exchange between slurping and chewing sounds. It took no great amount of thought for me to deduce that the strange technologies were extracting the dreams that had come to repose within the materials of the bed. Later, I would determine that this technology would extract dreams from just about any object that had routine contact with those who dreamed. As perhaps you are uniquely positioned to understand, any dream that can survive waking, even in the minutest amount, is a quantifiable victory, even part of a larger potential victory over all of this intractable waking foolishness. So, these things have smartly devised a means by which no amount of residual dream is suffered to waste, since that night the things have left me to my own devices, so long as I dream in the right direction, and do not distract from the rest of their labors. And with this last bit of insight I must conclude our little meeting, for as I have mentioned I am only tolerated here as long as I remain a quietly ripening fruit, not a noisy flower that gathers stinging pests.
1: As a parting gift, the dreamer granted me one last bit of insight, a secret route allowing me safe escape from the city. I walked through the damp blackness of a long hallway towards an elevator. The dimmest of lights sat fixed to the frame above the recessed machine, its illumination little more than a glowing darkness that indicated the direction of the elevator's travel. As I entered its cramped quarters before its doors slid shut, I heard the piercing screams of the man I had just left to busy sleep. Apparently the Wakeless had made a calculated decision concerning the pursuit of me, its execution boding poorly for my insightful friend, waxing resource or not. I knew there was nothing to be done for the man, and I hoped the better part of his mind had somehow managed to escape into the weightless and rushing waters of his precious dreams. Sadly, the colder and more rational part of my mind knew better. The doors opened into the superior darkness of a basement, and I took a moment to look for entities that might preside over the place in some official capacity. Yet, as much as the city partook in dreams, it seemed not to include the pleasant company of cellar kings and their subterranean sovereignties. This was not to say that some echo of the kingdom of cellars was entirely absent. A wonderfully wide hole occupied a wall, opening into spaces that fled the basement and connected adjoining subterranean places. I quickly moved beyond the hole into a strange and twisting corridor that had been carved from solid stone. Behind me I heard the amusing ding of the elevator door opening again. I chuckled a bit too loudly at the idea of such brilliantly vile creatures loading into an elevator like so many office workers, tapping their clawed feet to the tune of The Girl from Ipanema. Despite the amusement of the chase, I grew tired of being rushed. I summoned my father to my grip, and with deafening force he blasted himself against the stone of the ceiling. I believe he was still upset about his previous failure to finalize matters between himself and a certain tongueless nightmare. Massive chunks of stone crashed to the tunnel floor in thick clouds of dust and debris, blocking the way behind me. My father was not pleased at having been awoken for so pedestrian a task, but the freedom he afforded me made the weight of his silent reproach more bearable. As I navigated the underground, I imagined myself as the woman I would soon hunt. I listened with pricked ears as I glided through the deep stillness that overflowed from the blackest voids, waiting for a sign to call me up from the darkness to snatch my prey from the world. With my victim firmly in my grasp, I would send my venom rifling through its bloodstream, and then steal away into the subterranean rooms of my home. The bones of my previous meal would gather around my naked feet as I devoured my paralyzed prey. I was so enthralled with my imaginings that I had nearly neglected to notice a light that was growing brighter by the moment. Before I knew it, the man-made tunnel had transitioned into a natural expanse of smooth rock that conducted me without the mouth of the yawning cave. I looked above a nearby hill and spied the distant rooftops of New Victoria. I had escaped the Nightmare City for the second time. As I emerged from beneath the thick shadow of the city and moved back onto the main road beyond its broken barricades, I found the dead mother waiting for me. She stood on the far side of the pavement, her sickly yellow light pouring down over the cracked blacktop glorifying each pebble of artificially darkened stone. The stench of her body, a horrible mixture of tar and heat, swept back and forth across the air like clumps of dead bodies in shallow water, slowly drifting to the cadence of a feeble oily current. Her grotesque silhouette was revealed to me through the pattern of cracks in a nearby concrete wall that stood alone within an abandoned parking lot I could feel her gangrenous thoughts pulling at the shadows around me, trying to weave them from her garden of blooming banality. Her head was buried in the sun, just an obnoxious mass of heat and dead light, spreading a sick yellow warmth across my upturned face. As she looked down at me, I thought of everything the dead dreamer had told me. I imagined the red dream that might spread across the world as a result of the game I played. It was then I managed to offer the dead queen a broken grin, a mere sample of smiles to come.